And then there's a work day. For some of us, we don't have the tools required to build some of these cars. So we're going to have a work day that's February 6th. It's a Saturday as well, it's 9 a.m. And we're going to bring tools, cut the cars for kids or adults or whoever, and just get the shape. You've got to do some other things to that, even sand. And if you have tools, we kind of need your help too. So we, if you have a bandsaw, maybe a, a belt sander, some things like that, that would be helpful for um, building a Pinewood Derby car. If you want to bring that on that day, that would be really, really uh, phenomenal. We're looking for a melting pot to pour lead into these cars. That'd be a specific weight. So lots of fun stuff coming up. Uh, as you know, behind us, our worship team looks a little bit different. Woohoo! Yeah. Hi. This is uh, Gabe and the team of Project Jericho. I've known Gabe for quite a few years, and they're from Salt Lake. They made the trek all the way down Yay. just to be with us this morning to lead us in worship. This is just a special, unique thing that we get to do on Sundays. It kind of gives our worship team a break. It ministers to our church and just brings a little bit of a different uh, flavor with you guys and uh, uh, just a great great uh, uh, team I'm excited to, to just let them share with us thank you guys for being here let's stand together and open up in prayer Father we honor you today with just the spirit and heart and active worship Lord our vocal cords Lord we just sing out to you because you've been good to us through 2020, through all of our, uh, our lives, God, you have been there with us. You have certainly shown yourself to be faithful and trustworthy. And God, we just spend a few moments today to just sing of your glory. I ask for your Holy Spirit's anointing and your presence to be in this place. In Jesus' name, we say together, amen. Thank you. Well, nice to meet you guys. Um, we're going to go ahead and start worship. Um, our first song is How He Loves It. So I just want to encourage you guys as we sing this, you know, just to uh, meditate on the words. And like Pastor Seth was saying, you know, um, just have the Holy Spirit to invade in you. Yeah. And um, let him do the rest. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
<laughs> it's just exciting to be in the presence and also in the body of Christ. Yeah. So, so as we jump into this next song, um, you guys are more than welcome to dance. I'll try to dance. <laughs> Come on, man. I don't know if your stage could hold me. Seated. 
Uh, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, but my name is Jed Daly. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, I'm really excited to get this chance to, to share with you guys this morning. If you brought your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. We'll be camping out there uh, mostly this morning. We, we've been working through Acts. And so last week we looked at uh, an early church elder by the name of Philip and, and the impact he had in a few areas. And the week before that, we, we read about the, the first martyr for Christ, the stoning of Stephen. Uh, today, we're going to examine something uh, called zeal. Everyone say zeal. zeal. Turn to your neighbor, say zeal. zeal. I love the word zeal. It's a great word. If you're a Scrabble player, it uses a Z and three common letters. So remember that word zeal. It gets you a lot of points in Scrabble. Uh, but zeal, if you're not familiar with it, zeal is is passion, it's devotion, it's excitement about something. Uh, for instance, I love the Green Bay Packers. Uh, what a blessing has been this week to have to, to get to prepare this message. It's taken my mind off the Packers. Uh, my wife didn't sleep well last night. They're playing to go into the Super Bowl today. Um, so if you would like to just live out that scripture of uh, cling to what is good and flee from evil. And about 105 today, just send a prayer up for the Green Bay Packers. Um, <laughs> Do you guys know though, you know the safest, the safest thing you can wear in a pandemic is actually a Cowboys jersey? Because they don't catch anything. Yeah, yeah, I know who you are. Yes, I, I love the Packers. Uh, when I think about zealous characters in the Bible, uh, how appropriate it is that we sing about King David, right? King David with, with zeal. If you want a great example of zeal, look at 2 Samuel 6 where King David, he's so excited about the presence of God that he is, he, he strips down to, to his skivvies and is just dancing through the streets. Uh, he, he's so zealous for God and what he's doing. Uh, but when I think of zeal, I, I think of one man, and that's who we're going to read about today. Uh, so if you're there in Acts chapter 9, we are going to look at, at a guy by the name of Saul. He'll later be called Paul. So if I jump back and forth between the two names, just bear with me. I'm going to try and stick and only call him Saul, but I may slip up and call him Paul. It's the same guy. Uh, but Saul, he's, he was briefly introduced to us already, but he's going to become a major player in, in the book of Acts. He, he's going to emerge as one of the main characters, the, one of the driving forces in the early church. And, and so since we're going to spend so much time with Paul, uh, I just want to give you a quick background on who Paul was, just a, a little bit of what we know about him. Paul was from a place uh, by the name of Tarsus. Uh, Tarsus, and, and it, it helps shape who he is. You, you've got the disciples who are Galilean fishermen, right? Galilee isn't really a very affluent place, and so they're more the blue-collar types. Saul is from Tarsus. Tarsus is in Asia Minor. Uh, it's right on the coast, and it was a very important city to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, they broke it up by provinces, and uh, the Greek province of uh, Sicilia, uh, Sicily, they, they had their capital, which was Tarsus. And Tarsus was important for a couple reasons. They had a major shipyard there, so a lot of traffic, a lot of money went through Tarsus. But the other thing they had is they had a major university, a, a major university. It was one of the more learned places in the Roman Empire. You, you had Athens would be like Harvard, right? You got Alexandria would be like... Yale, uh, and so Tarsus would be like, like an Ivy League college. It's up there with Athens and Alexander. So people who came from Tarsus were typically pretty, pretty smart, pretty well educated. And that's the glimpse we get of Paul. Uh, see, I did it. That's the glimpse we get of Saul. Uh, Saul, he's, he's got a lot going for him. Saul is a Roman citizen. At this time, not everybody part of the Roman Empire was a Roman citizen. To be a Roman citizen meant that you had a certain prestige, certain opportunities that other non-Roman citizens wouldn't have. You'll see it play out a few times in the book of Acts to Paul's advantage that he is in fact a Roman citizen, but he is also Jewish and, and very Jewish, very devout Jew, probably came from a very devout family. At a young age, uh, Jewish boys, they would learn a trade. And, and so at a very young age, Paul learned tent making, which also comes into play later out in his ministry. But, but Saul, he, he's a tent maker, uh, so he's got that trade. Around the age of 13, he most likely started studying to become a 
priest. And so he leaves Tarsus eventually and goes to Jerusalem, studies under a guy by the name of Gamaliel. If you were here a few weeks ago, we've already been introduced to Gamaliel. He's one of the major, higher-up, well-respected priests of the Sanhedrin. And so he's, Paul's got some clout having studied under Gamaliel. Paul, he's multilingual. He is a powerful public speaker. Uh, he's probably the best debater around. You wouldn't want to engage in debate with Paul because he's very, very intelligent and articulate and, and he he would drive people nuts. The, one of the reasons they wanted to kill Saul is because he would debate them and make them feel foolish. Um, I'm sure we all have people that we'd like to kill in our life like that. Um, <laughs> but, but Saul, when we're first introduced to him, is very briefly at the end of Acts chapter 7. You've got the stoning of Stephen and it's interesting, that's where we're first introduced to Saul. See, Saul doesn't just want to be a normal guy. Saul wants to live a life, he's, he's, he's zealous. Everything that he does, he doesn't just do anything half-hearted. When he goes into something, he goes into it full bore. Saul, having, having been, a, being a Roman citizen, grown up Jewish customs, being a Pharisee, having studied under Gamaliel at this point in time, He's most likely part of the Sanhedrin. And so when it says that they laid their coats at the feet of Saul, that the men were going to stone Stephen, they laid their coats at the feet of Saul, it's safe to assume uh, one of two things, that either Saul as a Roman citizen, see the Jewish people weren't allowed to execute people. And so they're taking a big risk by executing Stephen, but Saul being this Roman citizen, maybe he could speak up and smooth things over, but it's very possible that Saul was actually the driving force behind the stoning of Stephen. That, that he was the one who, who said, this guy needs to be stoned. So they lay their coats at Saul's feet, and that's, that's where first introduced, and it goes on to say that Saul set out to destroy the church. That he literally goes town to town, door to door, and, and is interrogating people, trying to get people to, to blaspheme against God just so he can arrest them. He says that when people were brought to trial, if they voted to execute the person, Saul always voted yes. He's very zealous about, about what he's doing. And so I want to look today at zeal and what, what zeal can mean to us, what zeal can mean to the world. Uh, so before we go any further, let's just pray. Father God, I pray this morning, Lord, uh, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, Father, that you would speak to us. Your Holy Spirit would, would just impress upon us uh, your, your love and your heart for people, Father, that we would leave here zealously seeking after you and just wanting to proclaim your goodness and your grace, Father. We thank you uh, that you are a God who redeems and you take the most broken of people and use them for, for your glory. We thank you and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So at the end of Acts 7, where first introduced to Saul, you would think if this is a movie, we finally have our bad guy, right? We've got our good guys, you've got you've got the church elders and apostles and disciples. Now we have our bad guy. It's this guy named Saul, and he's a bad guy. But what I love about God and God's plans is he always has something better. See, God, God, God is better than any movie script. As we're going That's to right. read, Saul doesn't emerge as the bad guy. He, he emerges as something far greater than that. And that's what we'll pick up in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. It says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous strength, threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. And Saul will later state that this wasn't his first stop. He said that he went to many cities. He even went to foreign synagogues, places outside of the Roman Empire, just to persecute, just to arrest these early Christians. And so he goes to the high priest and his next stop is Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way being what we would call Christians today, just these followers of Christ back then they were called the way. Uh, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So the first thing about being zealous is we are zealous about what we know. What we know matters. Truth matters. And it's it's interesting in our culture today. We've got our 24-hour news cycle. You've got the internet and social media. You've got Wikipedia. You've got all these competing sources 
telling us what's true and what isn't. And there's so much out there to know, so much out there that can bog us down that, that one of two things can happen. We can cling, cling to something that we think is true that is not true, or we can cling to stuff that doesn't matter. We, we can become zealous about things that just waste our time. And so the, the first principle of zeal, if, if you want to be zealous for God, is we need to know the truth, right? We need to know the truth. Saul will later say when he's writing to the Roman church, Romans 10 verses 1 and 2, he says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. And Saul can testify to this because he's, he's been this. He's been zealous, but he, looking back, he recognizes he was zealous for God, but his zeal isn't based off of knowledge. Maybe Paul, in his zeal for God, he thinks that what's appropriate is to go and kill Christians. Maybe he's looking back at the Old Testament, and you've got the priest that, that kills two people. And that's all I'm going to say. It's a very uh, adult story in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so you can go and find for that for yourselves. And the teenagers are like, I'm going to go find that right now. Uh, but, but maybe Paul is, Saul is thinking about that story. Maybe he thinks that this zeal means killing people. Killing people. And so truth, it can be so subjective. It can, it's, it's almost like this moving target now. And so the, the question then is, how do we know what is true? If we're to cling to what is true, how, do we, how can we be sure what we know is true? Well, Jesus will answer this very clearly for us. He, he will say in John 14, 6, one of his I am statements we can find in John. Jesus answered, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus refers to himself as the truth. That's right. So many competing ideals out there, so easy to get drawn off course, that when in doubt, just look to Christ. In fact, the more that we look to Christ, the more that we, we try and model our lives after Christ, the more that we can rest assured of the truth, the truth of who he is and who we are in him. Truth matters, you guys. Truth matters. If, if we're, it's good to be zealous, but we have to make sure we are zealous after the truth. And the truth is only found in Christ Jesus. And so I, 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 would, I would say this morning, let's, let's be truth seekers. Let's be Christians. Let's be people who seek after Christ. Uh, picking up back up in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And it's very telling right there that Saul says, Lord. Saul is, remember, he, he is a Pharisee. To be a Pharisee, to be a priest, uh, the Pharisees, they, they started young age studying. Saul most likely had all the first five books of our Old Testament memorized, right? This is before they had it broken up by chapter and verse. And so to be able to eloquently refer to it, they would just memorize the whole thing. Pharisees, they also uh, believed in, in other writings. They believed in the works of the prophets, right? So, so I, Isaiah through Malachi he would have studied that extensively, if not memorized that too. Saul knows all of this. And so for him to call somebody Lord, this is not a small statement. Saul recognizes in that instance that something divine is happening to him. Verse 5, who are you Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you, you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And this, by the way, is why it's so important that God's word play a major role in our life. This is why we have to be rooted in the word. This is why we have to know God through his word and what he's revealed to us uh, through his word. Because there may be moments where we have these divine moments and we have to be sure of what's happening. We have to know who, in fact, is speaking to us and we can always go back to the word of God. God. God's voice is loudest in Genesis through Revelation. If you're wondering, if you want to hear the voice of God, it's loudest 
in his word. And so that's why that's it's right. important, just on a side note, that we are firmly rooted in his word. So that when God does call out to us, because he does call us, he does still speak to us today, is we can go to his word and find right. that assurance in what he's saying and who he is. Absolutely. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So imagine this. Is Saul is on his way to Damascus as this conqueror. Saul's going to Damascus to arrest people. And so Saul would not have just been by himself. It's not like he's just got a couple of his homies with him and they're going to Damascus. He probably has a large contingent of palace guard with him, almost like a police force traveling with him. And he is going to march into Damascus and bring this reign of terror, this fear that he has been bringing. And instead he is led into Damascus as a weak, blind man. God has humbled him in this moment. And so in Damascus, it says for three days he was blind and not eat or drink anything. I don't know if Saul is depressed, probably. I, I, I don't know if he's fasting, probably. But I have to imagine that at this point, Paul is really examining his life. He's examining his, his zeal. He's questioning his past few, possibly years of him going and persecuting the church. Because this, this man, Christ, that he has been so zealously fighting against, he has just had this divine encounter with the risen King Christ, with this divine Son of God. Right. And so he is, he is now in Damascus, not eating or drinking anything. He, he's realizing that his life, his purpose, his impact has been, has been wrong. If you want to have a life of purpose, a life of impact, it can only be found in the truth, which is Christ. Yeah. And so in Acts chapter 9, we're now introduced to a second character by the name of Ananias. This is not the Ananias who uh, was, was struck dead, obviously. Uh, this is a different Ananias. Um, what's interesting is in, in later on in Acts, Paul will write about Ananias and, and he'll, it's almost like he knew who Ananias was. Remember, he's going to Damascus to arrest, to persecute Christians. There's a strong possibility that Paul went to Damascus with Ananias in mind. He, he was going to root out and find Ananias. Remember how I said God's, God's script, his plan, his way is always far more fantastic than we could ever imagine. Imagine being Ananias, right? And, and you hear that Saul's coming and now maybe you've heard that he's blind and something's happening where he's been holed up for three days. You're kind of like, whew. <laughs> But God, but God, that's right. God talks to Ananias, right? <laughs> Christ speaks to Ananias. And imagine being Ananias. And Christ speaks to you and he says this. This is picking up in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas. Again, a different Judas. We have a couple really unfortunate names, but Ananias and Judas, very common names for that time. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now, right then and there, I don't know about you, but if I were Ananias, I'd be like, wait a minute. <laughs> there's, there's a different Saul, right? Like, he's yeah. pulling out the phone book, he's looking like, no, right? He, I'm looking at Facebook and Saul from Tarsus just checked in. This is the same Saul, right? <laughs> you want me to go to what now? Go to Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore sight. Man, like God, you gave him a vision of me, right? Like, I thought we were cool, right? Like, why, why are you dining me out? Now you want me to go to Ananias. Lord! Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Ananias knew who Saul was. Ananias had lost brothers and sisters in Christ because of Saul's actions. 
and God is calling him to go to him. Verse 14, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. To be zealous after God, we need to know God. But the second thing is this, and it might be even more difficult, is we have to take action. Yep. You, in, in fact, you can't be zealous and never take action. Right. If, if, we, if we say we are excited about who Christ is, right? We're, we're, we're excited. We, we come and we worship and we, we hear dancing songs and we're too afraid to dance ourselves because we're terrible dancers. But we watch other people and we're like, man, I wish I was brave enough to do that, right? That's, that's just me, like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> we have to act. We, we have to be willing to step out. Saul, later renamed Paul, he would say this to his letter in Philippians. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Philippians 1, 21 and first half of 22, it says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Again, Paul, when he does something, he goes in 100%. You can never accuse Paul of not being zealous. And so once he knows Christ, he puts that into action. He says, as long as I am drawing breath on this earth, I'm everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I think is going to be directed to the glory and honor of Christ my King. If I'm the one living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor to me because the worst they can do is kill me and the best thing they could ever do to me is kill me, right? <laughs> right. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So you see the, the devotion of Ananias. Paul will refer to Ananias as, as a devoted follower. Devotion is another word for zeal. And so Ananias, very aware of who Saul is, what he's done, what he came to Damascus to do, what does Ananias do? He goes to Straight Street, knocks on a door, and goes in. To be devoted, to be zealous to Christ means we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone. Right? Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Zeal, it can look like a lot of different ways. It can mean serving in kids' church. You could be on the clean team. You could lead a small group, right? I said lead, not attend. Lead a small group. <laughs> we can lead a small group. Did I mention that we can lead a small group? We, there's many ways, right? But, but maybe we think of it that way. But what if, what if it means showing love to those who are difficult, love, showing love to those who are impossible to love? That coworker that badmouths you, that family member who has hurt you, that bully at school who makes your life a living hell. Yeah. What if God is calling us to go and love them? And when I say what if, I'm saying he is. We are called That's to right. go out of love. If Ananias, with probably great fear, goes and is going to witness to this murderous Saul, yeah. if Ananias can do that, I think we can watch a Tony Evans video with a small group of people in our I house. I think so. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Some of you are like, amen. <laughs> Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Just on a side note, it's fascinating what Saul is called to go and do. Saul being, he, he referred to himself as the Hebrew of Hebrews. He is called to go and minister to the Gentiles. The, the non-Hebrew people at this point in time, the, the Gentiles and the Hebrews, they, they didn't get along. They hated each other. Uh, it, it would look very much like what we call racism today, the way right. they, they reacted to one another. And so Saul is, is just a fascinating choice to go and speak to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And maybe, maybe I was like, okay, that's cool. Right? I'm not good at Saul's suffering. Saul will go on to be the most zealous, devout, unstoppable instrument for Christ. Again, he's going to say to live is Christ and to die is to gain. What drives Saul then to give up this life? Saul is on the, 
the track of promotion, right? He's on the management track. He's going for upper management. He, he's, he's getting a good name within the Jewish ruling body, within the Sanhedrin. He's going out and he is persecuting Christians. They're, they're picking up what he's throwing down and he gives it all up. What would drive a man with such a bright future, so much power and prestige to go and proclaim Christ to those who would arrest him, those who would beat him, those who would leave him for dead, those who would ultimately end up killing him? What would drive Ananias to go and speak to the murderous Paul? It's the same thing that causes us to leave our life of sin and surrender it to Christ. And that is because they knew the love of Christ. See, there's a third instance of zeal that we see in this story. And maybe you missed it. But just imagine this prideful, deceitful, murderous Saul. And our Savior King, the Alpha and Omega, great I am, beginning and end, he would take the time to speak to this murderous, broken man. He would zealously pursue Paul. When Paul wanted nothing to do with Christ, Christ pursued him because of his zealous love he has for Paul. It's the same zealous love he has for us. That the creator of all things would take the time to capture Saul's attention is so profoundly awesome. And it's the same love, it's the same pursuit that he has for us today. It's, it's indescribable love. And you see Saul's immediate response to Ananias, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now imagine this. This is a greater gift than Saul ever could imagine. Because if you look at the Bible, before the day of Pentecost, before the day that the Holy Spirit came down and dwelled in those in the upper room, the Holy Spirit only ever dwelled permanently, we're told, in two people. That same Holy Spirit, that when you accept Christ, you are marked with His Spirit. You get that baptism of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible, precious gift it is. Do you know that before Pentecost, there were only two? We're told King David and John the Baptist. And so imagine being Saul and hearing that not only is Christ's love for you so great that he died for him, that he will redeem Saul. All his past mistakes, all his brokenness, God will use for his zealous glory. But not only that, but he will get that incredible gift of his Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Not only did Saul regain his physical sight, but now his spiritual sight is renewed. Now his, his heart is turned towards the truth, and he's able to act in light of that truth. Because he is transformed profoundly by the love of Christ. It, I would encourage you to go home, home and read the rest of Acts 9 for yourself. You'll see that Paul is, the word I often use, is like a pit bull. When he grabs onto something, he won't let go. Immediately he goes out into Damascus and starts proclaiming Christ. And, and the synagogue leaders are like, isn't this the guy that's supposed to take care of this Christian problem? What are you doing, Saul? Right? He goes and he engages in debate and he proclaims Christ so boldly that they actually have to sneak him out of the city. And one of the funniest moments in the Bible says that once Saul was out of the way and not stirring up trouble, it says the church enjoyed a great time of peace, right? <laughs> Everything Saul will do is out of a zealous love for Christ and his creation. He knows the importance of taking action. And it's not just something that you show, it's something you do. He's going to show people not just the righteousness of God, but the love of Christ. Everything that he does, he says, and everything that you do, do it out of love. Worship team, if you want to come up. Saul recognizes that the missing ingredient in his life was love. Look, when he was out persecuting and arresting, he was sure, he was convinced that he was doing the right thing. But there was no love in it. That's why he'll write in 1 Corinthians 13, he'll say, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Right. 
if I have the gift of prophecy to fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, yep. and if I have a faith that can move mountains, yep. but I do not have love, I am if I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body to hardships that I may boast that I do not have love, I gain nothing. And so, as we leave here today, there's a couple different ways that I want us to view zeal. First thing we need to understand is this, is that it begins because Christ is zealous for us. In fact, the greatest zeal that's ever shown in Scripture is that the Son of God would take on flesh to be pierced, to be bruised, to be broken. That he would surrender himself to death. That he would rise again three days later. Because you can't have a relationship with a dead man. Because Christ so zealously loves us. That he would give up everything he is for us. If you're here this morning and you don't know that love, it's easy to convince ourselves that we are unlovable. But I would say this, go and look at what Saul did. You can't tell me that you're worse off than Saul was. That same zealous love that Christ shows for Saul, he has for you. If you're here this morning and you don't know that zealous love, find it. Talk to somebody become very uncomfortable with that idea that you don't know that zealous love and pursue it because you will find that it has already been pursuing you your whole life. If you're in here and you know the love of Christ, then it is up to us to become zealous. When you fully can fathom the love of Christ, and I would say that we will never be able to fully fathom that here on this earth. The more I read scripture and see who God is, the power of God, the presence, his righteousness, and that he would submit to death. The route that he would take, it's unimaginable love to me. The, the more I look at the love of Christ, it becomes very difficult to hold still. It becomes very difficult to hold in. King David in 2 Samuel chapter 6, he tries to bring the ark twice. The first time he's doing it, he's, he's acting, right? He knows the Ark of the Covenant needs to come back to Jerusalem. But he's doing it out of something he has to do. And he goes about it the wrong way. The second time he, he brings the Ark back, he's doing it because he recognizes the power and presence and love of God. And his, he is so wrapped up in that, he can't help but dance. He can't help but proclaim the goodness of God. Right. So this morning, those of us who know that love must be zealous. Let's be crazy. Let's be reckless. Let's go out there and make people uncomfortable. Let's let people think that we're weird. Let's, let's maybe be off-putting at times because we are so loving to people that are so unloving to us. Let's be so zealous that in our lives people look at us and say, I don't know what's going on with them, but I want it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning, Lord, for the truth that you reveal in your word, Father, for the truth of the matter that, that we are all so deserving of wrath, and you would choose to use your own son as that instrument. Father, that you would choose you to use your own son, that when you poured out your wrath, you poured it out on him. Father, I thank you that your love for us is so great that when we come to you you hold nothing against us that through your son's sacrifice we are made perfect we are made righteous father lord i pray this morning if there's anyone in here if there's anyone watching this if there's anyone hearing this message father and they don't know your love i pray that your holy spirit would overwhelm this in them in this moment father Lord, that your Holy Spirit would overwhelm them with the truth of your love for them. Father, I pray for those of us who know your love. I pray you continue to sanctify us, continue to shake us out of our comfort zone, Father, that we would go out and we would be your instrument. We would be like Saul. We wouldn't take time to mourn our past. 
but we would just celebrate our future we have with you, Father. Lord, we would go out desperate to proclaim your love and grace, desperate to show your love and grace. Father, I thank you that you would use someone as imperfect as me for your glory. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, we would just know the truth, that we are zealously loved. Lord, that we can find everything when we zealously seek after you. We thank you, praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, love you guys. Let's close with that David dance song, all right? You guys want to hear that again? Yeah. All right. Love you. See you next week.